Guys, can you believe it's already March? This year is just flying by. Next Sunday is Daylight Savings Time. We're back into Daylight Savings. It's nuts. It's getting to the time of year where I need to start looking at taking my Christmas tree down because it's, <laughs> it's still up. It is still up. <laughs> well, we are uh, quite a few weeks into our sermon series called Unseen Power. We're, we're looking at the Holy Spirit and how he plays a role in us living out our lives of faith. And, and hopefully you've heard all the previous sermons leading up to this. Uh, if you have not, I would encourage you to get onto our website at mywhitestone.org and to listen to them because each one is hopefully building on the next to, to where we're at today. And last week we took some time to answer three very important questions. And the questions were, were these. Why do I need the Holy Spirit? How do I get the Holy Spirit? And then, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? And those are three incredibly important questions that every Christian should know and have the answer to. But today we're going to be moving forward and looking at how the Holy Spirit plays such a vital role in living out our Christian lives. And, and hopefully, guys, as we dig further and further into this Holy Spirit topic, um, I'm, what I'm hoping is that not only will you be just listening to sermons full of information, but that you will actually be learning to apply this stuff to your life. Because I promise you, if you aren't applying this to your life, this entire series is just a waste. This is all about life application, so we need to really focus on that. Now, at the beginning of this series, I, I talked or mentioned the topic of grace, okay? And I talked about how grace is absolutely so necessary for us to live out this Christian life. And, and the reality is, I really don't think that a lot of people know what grace is. Um, even Christians, so many Christians, don't really fully grasp what grace is. For so many people, grace is all about forgiveness. That's all it means. It's just, it's just grace. We say things like, well, thank you for showing me grace. And what we mean by that is, thank you for showing me forgiveness on that. Or we might have a grace period on our mortgages. That's a, like a forgiveness period. Or we say things like this, I was such a sinner, but then God showed me grace. And what that means is that God's grace equals God's forgiveness. And you know what, guys? You're right. God's forgiveness is a grace. But if you think grace is only about forgiveness, you're missing out on so much. You're sadly mistaken. Just do a word study on the word grace in the Bible, and you will see that it is so much more than that. Yes, God's forgiveness to us is an act of grace, but grace is so much more than an act of forgiveness. Now, a couple years ago, I did a series on grace. And, and if you're kind of wondering what grace is, I highly encourage you, go back and listen to that entire series on grace because I'm not going to be able to get into it this morning. And I think those of you who are web savvy, can you get on our website and go listen to archive messages? Is that possible? All right, so yes, I heard yes. You can do that. Go back and look for the grace series. I think it was several years ago. But I do want us, I, I want to give a definition of grace this morning. Uh, many of you already know it, but here it is. Here's what a, a great, good definition of grace is. Grace is God's power working in you to accomplish what you could never do on your own. That's what grace is. That power working in you is grace. And, and when I mentioned grace at the beginning of the series, I also told you that it is the Holy Spirit who is the agent of this grace. He is the one who is acting in you and through you on God's behalf to do whatever you couldn't do on your own. 
He's the power of God working in you. He's the agent. He's the one who regenerated you. That's grace. He's the one who enlivened you when you were spiritually dead. That's grace. He's the one, remember that light bulb? He's the one that plugged you into the source so your light could shine. That's grace. He's the one who empowers you to live this Christian life. That's grace. And I could go on and on. But what I simply want you to understand this morning is that the Holy Spirit is the agent of God's grace. He is the one who is the power behind all of God's work in us. He is the God working in us to accomplish what we can never do on our own. Does that make sense? Everybody following with me? Okay. So that being the case, in the upcoming weeks now, we're going to be looking at different outpourings of that grace, different activities of the Spirit. We're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit does and, and will work in us to do what we could never do on our own. And in keeping with that, today, we're going to be looking at a really important aspect as to how the Holy Spirit works in us. We're going to kind of start out this whole, what does He do in us? And this activity that He does in us should be very, very obvious because it's in His name. For instance, if I were to say, that guy's a garbage man, what does he do? He collects garbage, right? If I say, hey, that guy over there, he's a computer guy, what does he do? Yeah, fixes computers. Or if I say, that guy's a carpet man, what does he do? Yeah, he works on carpet. He lays carpet. So if a carpet man is, lays carpet and a computer guy works on computers and a garbage man picks up garbage, then tell me, um, if we call the third part of the Trinity the Holy Spirit, what do you think one of his main jobs is? Say it out loud, Weston. Making us holy. Exactly. Holiness. His main act is holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. And that is such a cru crucial work that the Spirit does in us. He makes us holy. Now, there's a fancy word for that, you know, just kind of like regeneration. There's a fancy Christian word for making us holy. Does anybody want to take a guess what that is? Sanctification, exactly. To sanctify, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. It means to make us holy. I don't know why we need to have big fancy words in the English language. If you could say holify, I think that would be a lot easier for us, but that's what we have. But one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify us, to make us holy. And so understand this. Any bit of holiness that you might have experienced in your life, you have the Holy Spirit to thank for that. He's the source of it. Grace. It's, grace is sanctification. Okay, The act of making us holy is God working in us to accomplish in us what we could never do on our own. And the Holy Spirit is the one doing that. Now, the outcome of this holiness in our life has a very special title given to it. And I'm going to read a verse to you, and I want you to pick out that title. What's it called? Okay, Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Looking at that verse, tell me, what is the title of this outcome of the Holy Spirit in our life? Fruit of the Spirit, exactly. In other words, the outcome of the working of the Holy Spirit in our life is the fruit of the Spirit, which it's this list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want to kind of go through those one by one and explain them for us this morning because 
These things are pretty amazing things, and we want them to be in our life. And, and hopefully we'll see how beautiful they really are and how then we should desire that in our own life. And for those of you who know me, you know that I'm a huge definitions man, and so I'm going to go through these one by one, and I want us to have definitions for them because I think knowing what a word means is so important. So let's, let's do that right now. And let's start with the word love, okay? Now, in my opinion, love has become a word that has lost its power. It's lost its meaning in our world today. Because we, we use the word love, like for instance, here's, here's a, a, a thing that we do with love. We'll say, I'll, I'll say this, I'll say, I love chicken. Guys, I eat chicken every day. I love chicken. Now tell me, do I really love chicken? No, how can you prove that I don't love chicken? Okay, I wouldn't die for it, but how can I prove by my actions that I don't love chicken? I'm eating chicken. That's not a loving chicken. If, I were to, if a chicken heard me say that, would he think, oh, I feel so loved? No. To love someone means this. It means to will the good of others. I like to say it this way. It's doing what's best for that person's sake. That's what love is. Now, don't be confused. Love is not delight. It's not liking something. Now, I could say I like chicken, but I don't love chicken. So don't confuse love for delight. Because the truth is, you don't like everything you love. Does that make sense? There may be some people in your life who you do not delight in. You do not like them, but you know what? You still love them. You still will the good for that person. You want what's best for that person for that person's sake. You don't necessarily like them, but you still love them. Does everybody understand that? That's what love is. Now, now hear me on this. Love is the absolute foundation of the spiritual life. Everything is built on love. And that's, it's such an important thing. Okay, so now let's look at the, the second one. Let's look at joy. And I, I, first of all, I want to say that just don't be confused to think that joy is pleasure, okay? Or a mere sensation. That's not what joy is. Joy instead is a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Joy is something that can happen in the midst of horrible circumstances. And something interesting to consider is that, if you could look at this, hope is the fellow partner of joy. Because it's our hope in God and our future with Him that allows us to experience joy in this very dark world. Amen? So they're, they're very closely connected. But joy is this pervasive, constant sense of well-being, even living in a world that is completely against us. All right, next on the list is peace. And peace is the rest that, hey, by the way, I'm going to email this out to you guys, so if those of you guys are trying to hurry up and write it down, you can relax. I'll send it out to you this week. Um, the re here's what peace is. Peace is the rest that results from assurance about how things are going to turn out. Knowing how things are going to turn out allows us to experience peace, and, and we don't have to keep wrestling with things ourselves. You know, uh, we will often say, I, I have a real peace about this. And what we're meaning by that is, well, I know I'm okay with how everything's going to turn out. For instance, for those of you who, you know, your kids may be getting out of school and you're still at work and your spouse is still at work and grandma's gone and you're like, 
oh my word, they're sitting there, they're waiting to get picked up, and you're freaking out. And so you call a neighbor, and the neighbor says, do not worry, I've got it, I'll go pick them up. Suddenly you have peace because you know that it's going to turn out. Everything's going to work out, okay? That's what peace is. All right, I, I like to say this. We as believers, we can experience peace because it's who we know. It's not necessarily what we know, it's who we know. And so we can experience peace because of that. Here's a big one, patience. Patience is the ability to bear up under intense suffering and hardship and lack of progress without anger or retaliation. Okay, a reality of patience is that in spite of suffering that we might going, be going through or hardship or lack of progress, you're able to keep doing the right thing over and over and over and over again. That's patience. Able to do the right thing over and over, even in the midst of all this stuff. It's like going to work and every day your co-worker just picks on you and rips on you and, and says names about you and just, just constantly berating you and you patiently do the right thing. You love him. You serve him. You speak good of him. You, you will good towards him. You do this over and over and over in spite of what he's doing to you. That's patience. The opposite of that is eventually coming to a point where you snap and you go, you know what, I'm sick of this, and you do the wrong thing. Okay? Patience is able to do the right thing for a long period of time in spite of everything else. All right, let's look at kindness. Kindness is being helpful, gentle, and merciful no matter who it is. You know, I think a lot of times we might offer kindness to certain people but not to others. Kindness... The, according to the fruit of the Spirit, is being able to offer it to anyone, whoever it is. And kindness and gentleness are very you know, intimately intertwined. A kind person is not a rough person. Rather, it's a person who's gentle in all that he or she does. Okay, How about goodness? Goodness is doing what most benefits others. If I'm going to do good to you, it means that I'm going to do what most benefits you. Now that might not be what you want me to do, but it, what's, it will be what most benefits you. Um, we always say that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Now what do we mean by that? We mean that God is doing what best most benefits us in any situation. We might be in the midst of the most horrible time of suffering and we can say but I know that God is good all the time because I know he's doing what's be what benefits me most that's what goodness is all right let's look at faithfulness now remember faith is believing in the unseen reality of God and his kingdom so faithfulness is going to have a very similar definition to this and faithfulness is this a consistency and living constantly aware of the unseen reality of God and His kingdom. It's a life of consistency in doing that. Not just here and there. No, faithfulness lives it consistently out. Always living faithfully. Not running to other things of this world and being distracted, but instead living aware of God's unseen presence with us all the time and working with Him. Now, the next word that this verse uses is gentleness, but in the Greek, it more conveys a meekness or humility. Does anybody's Bible that's open to that, does anybody's Bible have meekness? None? All right. 
Well, trust me on this, okay? Yeah, I looked up the Greek on it. Um, some, some translations will use meek. And, and meekness, uh, the definition for this is having a quiet, humble nature regardless of who you are. I've heard it said before that meekness is strength under control. And I think that's a really good definition. However, it's more than just strength. It's like, for instance, you can have someone who is incredibly strong, incredibly smart, incredibly powerful, incredibly famous, incredibly gifted. Whoever they are, they remain quiet and humble. They don't just assert themselves into any situation like, hey, I'm I'm the guy. No, they're very meek. Um, I like to use the word tame because like you can take a wild horse and you can tame it and a horse is just brimming with power and strength and speed but because it's tame it keeps it under control it doesn't just do whatever it wants it it's very it's meek okay it's a great picture of meekness all right let's look at the last one and you guys are going to be highly impressed with the definition of this one uh self-control is the ability to control oneself I know you're thinking, I thought a long time for that. But I, the more I ponder, I'm like, I can't come up with anything new. It's just exactly what it means. And because honestly, when you think about it, yourself, our self, gets what it wants, when it wants, as much as it wants. And our self often can't control itself at all. It is a bottomless cup of desire. And self-control is the ability to control that part of us it's the ability to control ourself now what's interesting just that word you think self-control when when you say the word self-control who do you think is the one who has the power to do that self right you think it's you but self-control according is not a fruit of you it's a fruit of the spirit he's the one who's going to give you self-control okay and it's the ability to control oneself. So here it is. Here's a list of things mentioned in that verse. And last week we asked the question, okay, how can I tell that I have the Holy Spirit? And I gave you a couple answers. Well, here's another one. How can you tell that you have the Holy Spirit? Because you will see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control being lived out in your life naturally in any and all circumstances. Even when life is hard, even when life is in chaos, especially when life is hard and in chaos, even when you're being persecuted, especially when you're being persecuted, even when things aren't going your way. I mean, this list will be evident in your life, and that is the Holy Spirit at work in you. He's the one doing it. It is supernatural. Because I'll tell you, living with those things in your life, listen to me here, is humanly impossible. It is humanly impossible to love your enemy. It is humanly possible to have pervasive joy in the midst of extreme sorrow. It is humanly possible to experience complete peace in the midst of utter chaos. You can't humanly continue to experience any of these things in extenuating circumstances. But, let me tell you, by the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, you can experience all of these. It is God's grace flowing through you to accomplish in you what you could never do on your own. Now, I want, you, I want to point out something to you. Um, put that verse up there. I want you to notice something about that verse. Kind of just read through that verse here. 
And does anything stand out to you? Is the word fruit singular or plural? It's singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It simply says the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is singular. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, so what, right? Well, here's why that's important. The fruit singular of the Holy Spirit are all of these things. It's not like these are the fruits of the Spirit, like the Holy Spirit has all these different fruits. No, all these things are the fruit. Oops, sorry. Fruit of the Spirit. Does that make sense? In other words, if you live by the Spirit, you will experience all of these outcomes, not just one. It is all-inclusive. If I live by the Spirit, power of the Spirit, being led by Him in my life, I won't just experience gentleness and not peace. No, I'll experience both of them. I'll experience it all. All these things are the fruit of living by the Spirit. Now, what makes that so amazing, listen to me here, is that I don't have to like focus on love and like, all right, I gotta focus on love. And, and when I get love down, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move to peace and I'm gonna work on peace while still trying to work on love. And then and I gotta go over here and work on kindness. And you know, when I get that down, I still gotta be working on these two. No, if I live by the Spirit, all of these things happen. It is the fruit of the Spirit. All these things will happen simultaneously. Because they aren't things I do, they are things the Spirit does. It's His fruit in my life. And when we live by the Spirit, His fruit will be evident in our lives. Now, I want to speak to that for just a second. Because I think it's kind of funny, but we often talk about how, man, I'm just praying for patience. I'm really praying for patience. And then we say things like, and that's a dangerous prayer, let me tell you. And we, we pray, Lord, just please teach me patience on this. We, you know, we're, we're asking for it all the time. But you know what the truth is? We don't need to pray for patience. We need, just to, we need to just simply what? Live by the Spirit. Because if we live by the Spirit, what happens? We're patient. And, and, and isn't that interesting? I think so often we pray for things that God has already given us access to. If we just simply lived by the Spirit, we would experience all these things. For instance, we pray all the time for peace. Lord, just give me peace in my life. Lord, just give me joy in my life. Help me to be kind to this person, God. Help me to be gentle to this, these people, God. Lord, please grant me self-control when it comes to this certain thing in our life. And this is the substance of so many of our prayers. And sometimes I wonder what God thinks about that. Sometimes I think that God may be sitting there thinking to himself, I've given you the answer to all these things by simply living by my Spirit. Why don't you just live by my Spirit and you'll experience all these things? You don't have to keep asking me. Because if you lived by the Spirit, these things wouldn't be an issue. Do you see what I'm saying? An analogy might be, I use this for first, but it's a little bit like this. Let's say that you hop into your car 
And you kind of sit in the chair and you're like, God, really need to get to Waukesha. And it's raining out here. I wish I could see out the windshield. And I'd like a little heat in here. And I'd love to listen to some music. God, please do something. And God's just simply saying, turn on your car. Turn on your car and all those things will be a reality. Just turn on your car. And I feel like the Spirit of God is, or God is saying, live by the Spirit and these things will be a reality. Stop asking me. Just live by the Spirit. Now guys, if all these things are the fruit of the Spirit, then that means what? What do we need to learn how to do? We need to learn to live by the Spirit so that these supernatural realities would be part of our everyday experience. If we want these things in our life, which of course we do, then we had better learn what it means to live by the Spirit. And guys, to make that even more urgent, let me show you this passage in Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 19, it says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the acts of the sinful nature. In other words, these are the acts that don't require supernatural power in our lives. We'll just live them out because it's just part of our sinful nature. Okay? These are the acts of them. And we do not want these things in our life. I mean, seriously, those who live like this, it says here, will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God because it's obvious this Holy Spirit is not living through them. We do not want these acts of sinful nature to be part of our life. So what do we do about it? Well, let's see what Galatians says. Verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. How do we not gratify the, the desires of the sinful nature? By living by the Spirit. Do you see that? So, listen to this. If we live by the Spirit, not only will we see the fruit of the Spirit in our life, but we will also not gratify the sinful desires of our sinful nature in our lives. It will be removed. Isn't that incredible? That is all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And guys, all we have to do is live by the Spirit, and that will be a reality. Amen? Yeah. We're all like, amen. Oh, yeah. Bring it. But what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to live by the Spirit? I, I, you know, growing up, I, I would always hear this. There'd be, we, we throw around these little Christian phrases around, and it sounds all spiritual, but so many of us don't know what it means. I'm telling you, Johnny, you just need to, you just need to be sanctified. You, you just need to walk According to the Holy Spirit, you need to live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh and you will experience the fruit of the Spirit. Hallelujah, Johnny. Praise God. And poor Johnny, because he doesn't want to be embarrassed, he's like, hallelujah, amen. Mm -hmm. I'm all about that. But he doesn't know what that means. And unfortunately, so many Christians have no idea what it means or what it looks like. So much of my life growing up, people would tell me, well, Luke, you just need to live by the Spirit. 
and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. And I'd be like, what does that mean? It's like some little simple equation. But no one ever explained what that ever meant. And because I didn't understand it, I could never live it. We need to have understanding. So, we need as a church to really understand what it means to live by the Spirit because it appears that if we do so, holiness will be a result in our life. And of course it would be because He's the Holy Spirit. Amen? Sanctification will happen in our life. We will be people who love who have joy, who have peace, who are good, who are kind, who are faithful, who are humble, who have self-control. And let me tell you, Whitestone, the world desperately needs to see Christians living this way. Amen? Yes, it does. So we need to understand it. So, in the upcoming weeks... I think what I'm going to be doing, I'm still trying to ask the Lord how this is going to all unpack. I think I'm going to first of all cover all the activities, the acts of grace that the Spirit does in our lives, and then we're going to try to unpack then how. How do we live this out? Sorry to leave you on a cliffhanger and then say, yeah, it's a couple months later, we'll cover it. I don't know. But be, I just encourage you uh, as my church family, pray for me in this, because this I think is a big deal for us. We, we want to live like this. Amen? So pray for me as God helps me prepare for this, and hopefully in the future we will be a church who lives by the Spirit, and we see the fruit of the Spirit, and we no longer see the sinful desires of the sinful nature being played out in our life. And I so desire that for our church family. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this church family. They are just awesome. And God, we're, we're desperate for you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We cannot do life without you. And just honestly speaking, Holy Spirit, we, we don't understand a lot. And I guess the great news is, is that you promised to be our instructor, our teacher. And so we need you to teach us and to train us and instruct us. And as we move forward in these upcoming weeks, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do such a mighty work in our midst that we would be a church of holiness and a church of power. And I pray this in the name of Jesus who made this all possible. Amen.